Welcome to the Bioinformatics Lab podcast. I'm Kevin Libwit with Andrew Page. We're from Theogen, and today we're talking about the team dynamics of bioinformatics software development, which is starkly different from maybe being in an academic setting where you're maybe focused on a single project, you're writing your own scripts in the backgrounds of your own Linux machine versus contributing to a code base where there's multiple developers. I have my own experience working at you know, James Madison, my master's program, and I was that exact kind of developer where I was, maybe me and Curtis to some degree, we were developing together, but we, both of us, neither of us rather, knew what we were doing. So we essentially had our scripts. I think maybe we had a, a text file of how we would copy and paste them as we ran our, our sequences or our, our protocols together. We didn't know how to write a workflow. So we just had scripts that we were just putting together and getting in the in, into our analysis. That's what we called our workflow. Versus today, you know, we work on a team of developers and that is a world away from where we were. And it's a professional move I think a lot of people are looking into. Like they're getting into the field of bioinformatics. They're, they have interest and intrigue about computer science and the way in which they can make sense of these biological data um, and wondering, hey, what the heck does it look like on the other side of the field whenever you're, uh, you know, forced to do uh, pull requests and reviews and make sure that you're validating what's happening, you know, all things that maybe don't always happen in the backs of a, an academic setting. So yeah, from that, your experience, were you ever a solo developer? I feel like you kind of started in software development, like uh, from the get-go. I've, which I've done a lot. Yeah, so I mean, I've I've come from an academic background, but I've also worked in teams of developers. To, you know, where say five, ten people are working on the same thing, and also then working individually. You know, on my own stuff within maybe a wider software engineering group, and then just you know on my own as well. So you know, I've done I guess all the different levels and seen the different types of things you need to do. And in bioinformatics, it's quite interesting because most of the software we use is developed by those solo um, academics. Yes. And these are critical pieces of software and it's, you know, people aren't necessarily coming from a, sorry, a software engineering background. They're coming from maybe a biology, computational biology background, and they maybe they're missing that key piece or they don't realize the complexities of when you add just one more person, you know, going from uh, one to two is actually a huge jump, you know, in terms of complexity of developing software, unless you're super isolated, it's quite yeah. a difficult thing to do. <clears throat> so, yeah people can get a bit lost, you know, when you have to do, say, pull requests, or you have to think about how do you structure your branches, you know, are you adding feature branches, or, you know, how you're running your tests, you know, which copy of the code do you take, you know, there's all these different considerations, and then you mentioned reviews as well, you know, academics aren't really used to having their, their stuff reviewed until the very end, not as to go along and make changes, because, you know, it is this kind of ship uh, ship uh, often, you know, uh, kind of mantra often with the kind of development we do and which is good, but it does require that rigor and process behind it, which is a very software engineering -y thing. And, you know, it's easy to talk about the academic space because it does happen there a lot. But even when I'm thinking about my first couple of years in the Virginia Public Health Lab, it was kind of similar to that because I brought in my academic practices. And I was the only developer in the state public health laboratory. So I was writing things that were really only meant for me to write. And so I remember going in, maybe this was 2016, and I was just tasked to help write something to characterize E. coli and salmonella. So like I wrote a little thing. And again, this time, my workflow, my workflows were make files. 
I would like write little sh uh, shell scripts and then put a little make file to, to put them together. Um, but they were for my eyes only, essentially. But because I was in public health, there was other practitioners. I, I want to say it was even maybe Logan Fink at the time who was asking, hey, that thing you wrote for E. coli and salmonella characterizing, hey, can I see it? I would love to maybe we can adopt it in uh, Colorado. And I remember being a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know if you want to look at this. He's like, no, man, you've already written it. Come on, let me just check it out. And so in that practice, though, I had to I almost like I felt like I was cleaning my room. Like, all right, if, if I'm going to show this to somebody, uh, let me make sure it, it's well documented. It's It follows some you know rules I can get behind. Um, and it made it better. It ultimately made it better. And then it also forced me to put it on GitHub, which also I had a bit of an apprehension of, of just showing publicly my work in that way. But ultimately, it made it better. And it allowed him to access it, use the resource, and see what I was doing. So again, even when I was going from one to two, as you mentioned, there's that bit of the peer review aspect of it that that made it better. And then as that team aspect grows and where you want at this point, we have repositories that we have contributors that aren't even part of our team, you know, and so we want to open those access points. So it, it's a tough jump, I think, to go from solo to writing something where you think other people are going to be looking at it and even contributing to it. But ultimately, a leads to a better piece of software. Yeah, and it's even things like style, and uh, mm. like with Python, you know, they do lockdown the style fairly well, but actually, people do things in slightly different ways, and you can really tell when someone has written something differently, and or different people have written things or edited them, whatever. And the way you know, it's it is kind of an art form as well, and yes. so the way that people structure things as well can be quite different. And that does take a bit of getting used to, particularly when you're working with multiple people. So on a lot of software projects uh, in the past few years, I've been taking more of the kind of architect role where I would do the initial kind of skeleton and spec out, you know, which, you know what bits go in which files at the very, very high level, and maybe write a very first quick and dirty implementation, which does work, but doesn't have, you know, the features you need. <laughs> And get the say testing framework and get all the you know the other bits that you need you need to consider from the very beginning. Because if you don't consider testing from the beginning, you're you know, often you won't do it. And you know, get that foundation there, and then you can pass it off to other people who can then you know contribute in that style. But it's very important um to set the right tone from the beginning when you're uh, you know developing software. Because if you try and overlay it, you know, later on or like open source it later a lot of stuff comes back to haunt you. I remember when the first project I was working on Sequenscape um, in, in Sang Institute, big team of developers, and they decided they want to open source it on GitHub. We were using it privately. And, you know, the challenges there were we had to go through, you know, nearly line by line to make sure there was no keys in their passwords, uh, uh, internal paths, references to servers. And, you know, it'd be very, very detailed. And, you know, it's, it's all these little missing things that you, you you might forget about. And then, you know, even purging the history because stuff will have been committed accidentally and then uncommitted or, or reverted. But it's still there, you know, and you have to have that really clean thing going up. You don't want to accidentally give away your internal API keys or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it can be a challenge when you do these things uh, later. But it is good when you do have a good team and it does take coordination. Sometimes people will look at a manager, you know, of a technical team and wonder, what, what do they do all day, you know? But actually, a lot of that is just making sure that people are, you know, moving in the same direction, 
um, and trying to solve the same problems, not to solve different problems. I, that, that resonates a ton, especially with what, what we're doing in our experience with our open source repositories. And probably one of the bigger differences whenever you're looking at developing yourself versus developing your team. Maybe there's a couple individuals who take it to this level, but I haven't seen it, or at least it's rare, where you're seeing that level of strategy kind of being imbued from the beginning. Because uh, whenever you do have a large team of developers, um, you need coordination and orientation to, to where we're going. So even now with our, uh, with our repository, every time we get a feature request, as an example, there's a bit of a design document stage where it's like, okay, this is the feature request we've gotten. We're going to add this tool. How does it interact with everything else that we have in the code base? And what is our intended outputs and, and types of changes? And how does that fit in to the entirety of whatever repository we're working on? You know, For example, we have our public health bioinformatics workflow, which has workflows that have been adopted by so many different laboratories. So now with that kind of a consideration, we have to make sure that any change we make doesn't in any way you know, cause unintended consequences for all the other components of the workflow, right? Because it's all sort of interconnected. Um, and yeah, you need a bit of the architecture there to, to make sure that when people are adding that, they kind of understand, there's a map of what I'm adding to and, and how to uh, do it properly. And what we found super helpful is having a design or a, a style guide even so that like whenever you go from file to file, you, you, you just you're oriented. There's a, there's a, a style, there's a, a familiarity from, um, from throughout the code base. We went as far and maybe we get a little pedantic on ours, but you know, two space uh, indent as, as opposed to a tab kind of thing. Uh, how many white lines are we anticipating between uh, the breaks of classes and things like that? I like that stuff. I never thought I would like that stuff, but whenever you're, it's that large of a program, or that large of a project, you come to appreciate the uh, the through lines because of how chaotic it could be otherwise. And it's even how how do you name things? You know, what is your? Do you go for really descriptive names? Do you go for short names? And that's always a challenge. You know, I yeah. prefer descriptive. You know, I should be able to look at the name of a method and go, "Yep, I know what that does." Not have to guess. And oh, of course, it gets more complicated. You know, when you have something like a sample, you know, what does that refer to? Is it the alloc? What is it? The tube? Is it the, yes. you know, the metadata of a sample? You know, yeah, you can get into these weird philosophical things. And I know uh, recently we've been looking at um, trying to fix, make the names of things more consistent because, you know, over time you might say, oh, yeah, I'm going to call this read one, read two, or is it, you know, raw read one? And is it a fast queue file one? And all of these things, and you know, people kind of add them in different places. But at some point, someone has to go. Actually, you know, we gotta we gotta change this. You know, we gotta make it consistent so everyone knows exactly what this means. And that's what's been fun too with a team of that many developers. And maybe again, it happens as a single developer, a different project. But you just accrue so much technical debt over time. So every now and then, you do have to take a snapshot, do a bit of spring cleaning, and identify. Okay, as a team, are we consensus uh, to build forward? Um, to, to those kinds of consistencies, because I, I know exactly what you're talking about with the read one, read two, and all these things. Because it's like, you're, first, you're developing an Illumina paired end workflow. So it's read one and read two. And then yeah. somebody else was doing an ONT workflow. So they just called it reads. And so it wasn't, it was, is this the missing a read two? Is reads the same as read one? And then trying to come to a harmony on those kinds of things. And that's what happens too, whenever you have a team of developers without, without setting that kind of internal style of document they're going to go in their own ways when there's not that kind of consensus 
already explicitly written and directed there. And particularly with really complex systems, you, you can't know everything, yeah. you know, there's no, uh, no one can keep all that in their head. And so you do need to have these periodic um, reviews and, and kind of cleanups, which it's not a bad thing. Um, but what we do need to consider is, you know, we don't go to the other extreme and over-engineer everything, you know, because yeah. you, as a computer scientist, software engineer, um, I, I love, you know, over-engineering because it's so <laughs> much fun to play with 20 different technologies and link them all together, but it doesn't really make sense if, you know, it's not actually going to add anything or actually it'll detract it by making this software, you know, or this, the actual production system uh, less stable because it's got so many things it depends on. And, you know, if one little bit goes down, everything goes down rather than just maybe running it all in one Docker container, you know, sometimes the simplest solution is, is the best. So yeah. there can be a lot of, uh, I guess, having to consider the real problem you're trying to solve. And that, that's what a lot of public health is about. They don't really care about the, you know, the black box underneath. They just, they want yeah. things to work consistently, reliably, and uh, all the time, you know, and they don't really care what happens underneath. It's funny because there's actually kind of two audiences you're developing for in the public health space. There is exactly like what you mentioned, where on the bench side, they want to be able to submit their samples, get it analyzed, get the results that they care about. But we also have a technical community that's like, actually, what is under that black box? Let's make sure we can actually, as a technical community, um, assess and review what the heck is going on in there. So both of those are true, um, I think. And and maybe to come to a close of this conversation, we've talked about that jump from solo to team. And to some degree, you talked about this in the context of maybe people looking into this as a career. What would you recommend if there is that academic who is starting to get into this as a field, they, they have an entry, they have a talent even for this, but they haven't worked on a team before. They haven't actually interacted with uh, multiple developers and collaborated. How would they prepare themselves or, or maybe dip their toes in the water to see, would I like to do that? Yeah, so I guess I, I was that person uh, many, many years ago. I, you know, freshly minted PhD in, in computer science, thinking I knew everything, w walking into professional production software engineering team. And it was like, oh, I actually know nothing and it, it was very, very insightful, but you have to be open to actually, you know, treating it as like an apprenticeship and that you're there to learn and that you have to, you have to be open that the things that you used to do aren't necessarily what you need to do. If you want to write stable production level code, you, uh, you know, when you're working in a team and there's so many different considerations you need to take into account when you're working with multiple people that you'd never have considered. So I guess it's about being open to, learning a lot more um than just the kind of pure academic uh kind of stuff or or pure programming you know there's a lot of social stuff in there that process fair, yeah walking in with a bit of humility knowing that uh working in a team is its own kind of skill set like you said there's a social component too and i think for people who want to start this and maybe are, are still in a world where they're not explicitly in that production team in the professional world you could really start, I think the best way to start doing it is getting your code out there and making it public uh, because you are writing with that intent that of, of presumably other people can see it and assess it. Um, and then I would also encourage them to find open source repositories and start making pull requests or even start just reviewing closed pull requests. I think that's often helpful. So you could see what does dialogue look like? What does it look like whenever, you know, the, the reviewer is... Um, assessing a potential change to their code base. So you could see what those social dynamics look like 
as a sort of observer without necessarily fully jumping in if you don't have that opportunity. Absolutely. That's a really good way to do it. I hadn't actually thought about that, but yeah, no, that's fantastic. Because normally that's hidden away in companies. Mm -hmm. um, you don't see it publicly on the web, but actually, you know, with open source and this kind of stuff we do, you do see it and it's all there documented. It's an audit trail, which is phenomenal. Anyway, uh, we could talk about this probably all day. Um, yes. So we uh, call it a day there. All right. Awesome. We'll see everyone in the next one.